With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech drive the Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel all-wheel drive. Mornings on SEN. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoop with you again this morning. A little overcast. Even had a drop of rain in Melbourne this morning, but hopefully it clears up. The quarterfinals get underway at Melbourne Park today. Last night, uh, champions love nothing more than putting a potential contender back in their place. And Alex Dimonor found that out the hard way last night. Novak Djokovic did what he had to do in his opening three matches in his bid for a 10th Australian Open crown. But in his fourth, he made a statement. Well, I don't know ever, but uh, definitely best tennis I've played this year and this tournament and so far this season, um, best match. So I'm, I'm really glad because obviously as, as the tournament progresses, the matches are going to get tougher. So I'm you know, really glad to, to manage to win uh, the way I did tonight and to feel really uh, great in terms of mobility and uh, movement of my leg, which is great news. So all in all, perfect match for me tonight. Well, we take it day by day. We do a lot of things, actually. Um, it's, it's, it's been honestly exhausting, you know, to, to uh, be involved in a lot of different treatments and machines and stuff that we do. But uh, at the same time, it was necessary. It is necessary in order to get myself um, uh, in, a, in a condition to play. So I'm really glad that my body has responded really well. Tonight, uh, I didn't feel any pain. I moved as well as I have the whole tournament. So it, it means we are progressing in the right direction. So it's just the it response be? of the body, I guess. You know, I mean, some, some days you feel good, some days maybe not as so, I, as I said on the court, I do not want to celebrate too early, you know, because I don't know how the body is going to respond tomorrow and for the next match. But what I felt tonight is fantastic. The 21-time Grand Slam winner already had added motivation after being booted out of the country 12 months ago. Now the constant questions over the severity of his hamstring injury have only added Fuel to the fire, speaking to the media in Serbian last night. Uh, he fired up and says he's the only player whose injuries are questioned. Uh, and post-match, Alex Dimonor appeared to do exactly the same thing. I don't know. I mean, you tell me how you thought he, he looked out there. I mean, playing him, uh, uh, I thought he was moving pretty well. Uh, so, I don't know. Is it hard to isolate yourself from all that speculation on the hamstring when you enter the court today? Was it, you know, how did you move away from that? Look, uh, I don't know. I think everyone's kind of seen what's been happening over the couple of weeks and you know, it's, it's the only thing everyone's been talking about. But today I was out there on court against him and either I'm not a good enough tennis player to expose that or... It just, it looked, it looked good to me. 
he was just too good in, in all aspects. If anything, just a little bit disappointed. Um, you know, I didn't give much, you know, for for the crowd to cheer on. You know, I think came up against a very good opponent with a very high level today. But yeah, there's uh, lots of things to improve for me um, if I want to take the next step. Have you played a better player than the one, the version you got tonight, Novak? I don't think I have, if I'm completely honest. Uh, I think uh, what I experienced today was uh, probably uh, Novak very close to his best, I would say. And um, to me, if that's the level, I think he's you know, definitely the guy that's going to take the title. Yeah, the fourth round's been a stumbling block for the Aussie men ever since Leighton Hewitt made the final in 2005. Uh, Bernard Tomic, Nick Kyrgios, Alex Demonor all made it, uh, but failed to go any further. So while it's back to the drawing board for the Demon, Djokovic will be aiming for a record 26th consecutive win on Rod Laver Arena. The next to enter Djokovic's domain, Russian Alexander Rublev. But in reality, has anyone... Has Novak already got one hand on the trophy? Do any of Rublev, Sitsipas, Korda, Hatchinov, Shelton, Paul or Lecheka have a realistic chance of even p- pushing Djokovic uh, before this tournament is over? Give us a call, one 736 736 on the EFS open line. 40 Wings, Temper Tech, 433 Is it a fait accompli? Is Novak Djokovic going to walk away with his 10th Australian Open title and match Rafa Nadal's record of 22 Grand Slam titles? Or is there one of those players you think is capable of causing an upset uh, and taking the title Back home with them. Uh, so tempered mattress, are like a mattress like no other. Consumer's Choice winner, tempered mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Got a couple of prizes uh, to give away to the best callers today. A Signet Boost Power Bank valued at $59.95. A Signet Boost Power Bank will help, help keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered 24-7. And this one's a ripper. An Oki Melbourne experience for four people. Valued at $365. Bucks. So it's 85 minutes of darts gameplay, four share plates, and two signature cocktails each. So get on the line and give yourself a chance to win those great prizes. one 736 736 To the footy, and the captaincy picture continues to unfold. Luke McDonald and Jai Simpkin will lead north at the beginning of the Alistair Clarkson era. And this week in Lawn, the Pies will vote on their new skipper. In voting last year, Darcy Moore finished second behind the man that just vacated the role, Scott Pendlebury. Oh, I think there's definitely a group of us who've all got the experience and the sort of traits that um, that are definitely capable of doing it. For us internally, it's a little bit more probably about the collective um, of the senior guys who lead the team and um, you need all of them to sort of be on board and help help drive the team forward. And that's certainly been Scott's style for nine years. So not giving much away there, Darcy Moore. And they've got a, you know, they've got a, some good candidates to choose from. Taylor Adams, Jeremy Howe, Braden Maynard, Jack Crispert. Given he finished second in the voting last year, don't think he did anything wrong last year in terms of uh, leadership, certainly not his performances. You would think Darcy Moore will be the new captain of the Collingwood Footy Club. 42 years ago, his father, Peter, uh, was named captain of Collingwood. Of course, a Jewel Brownlow medalist, one at Collingwood, one at Melbourne. Uh, he captained the side in 81 and 82 before 
well, quite controversially at the time, he switched from Collingwood uh, to Melbourne. So Collingwood fans, I assume most of you would be very comfortable if Darcy Moore uh, is named the new captain of Collingwood. Uh, but if you've got any other thoughts, uh, give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Send us a temper text, 0433981116. Just got me talking, thinking with the footy. Everyone's obviously positive at this time of the year. They've got their hopes for the season. Just by the end of 2023, what do you want people saying about your footy club? Not, not you know, oh, they won the flag or, you know, they won a final or they won this many games, but just the description of your footy club. Like, for an Essendon supporter, for me... It's, I want people to walk away from a game watching Essendon in 2023 and say, whether they win or they lose, gee, they're hard to beat. If you've got a little motto you want your club to follow in uh, 2023, 1-300-736-736. Andrew from Nidri has jumped on the line, wants to talk about the tennis last night on the EFS Open Line. Good, Andrew. Oh, good, good morning, Jules. Uh, firstly, just want to say... We'll, we'll have an enjoyable season this year, Essendon supporters. So, Let's hope so. Born by your membership, so we'll have a great year. New captain? Um, uh, do you think uh, they'll have a new captain, uh, Andrew? Well, that's the issue for me. I, I, I don't think there's a any. You know, like I know people want Merritt to be captain, but I don't think uh, Merritt's shown enough leadership on the ground to be captain. But that's my opinion. But um, I, I think Heppel should stay for another year, and maybe. And then try and uh, bring up a couple of young blokes to see um, if they can next, take the next step. That's what I would do. But um, but I think they will uh, put Merritt in. But um, Merritt's a fantastic player. But um, uh, as a captain, I, I don't see him um, on the ground. Um, I might be wrong because I'm not on the ground. Um, doing what he needs to do as a captain. Uh, compared to when you're comparing to all the other great captains of the, the league or you know, um, the, the, he, he he plays a really good game, very highly skilled, but um, um, there's a bit different being that and a, and a great captain. That's a, a fair captain. point. Yep, I think that's yeah, fair. Anyway, anyway so uh, we'll see. But if he is the captain, I'm all behind him. Absolutely. Yeah, so, we'll, yeah, so that's that's 100%. Uh, and, yeah, and congratulations to him for years. But going back to the tennis, uh, 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 yeah, look, I think uh, Demonor, um got sucked in. Uh, and also his game, his game style. I just watched a little bit of it because I, I did, you know, just switch channels on that. Um, I don't think he's physically strong enough to take that next step, or he's not at this present stage. His game plan is only, or his game is only good enough to um, get to a certain level, um, and he needs to change where, where he's at because he'll get to those uh, third rounds, but to play with the big boys, his game's not there. Um, and the other thing, um, our, our Serbian friend um, has got one hand on the trophy. Um, I think he, he's um, foxed everybody around. And um, and I, I think if you've got a hamstring, I've had hamstring injuries before my in, when I used to play in that. Um, and you don't you don't play like that if you've got a hamstring injury. Now, he didn't look to, uh, too hampered last night, uh, Andrew. But is this... Is this part of the thing? I mean, we've got one here. Uh, Jules, there is no injury that is hamstring-related unless it's a scratch on his leg. It's pure gamesmanship, nothing more. Why do it? Someone called him out, says, was it? Maybe he gets in the head of his opposition with these injuries. That You know, people think he's not that injured. He's playing it up, and suddenly they're, they're taking their eye off what they should be doing. So it does seem to work uh, for Novak, uh, whether they are legitimate injuries or that he's playing them up uh, a little bit. Thanks for your call, Andrew. Let's get to Richard in North Caulfield wants to talk about the pies. G'day, Richard. 
Yeah, hello, Julio. Top of the morning to you. You too, my friend. Um, Collingwood captaincy. Um, look, look. Firstly, I think Darcy Moore. I, I think you know if you listen to the influence he has on the younger players and all that, and I think he'd be a great captain. And unfortunately, Taylor Adams just you, you just can't rely on him to be on the track enough, to be honest. But um, I suppose the thing that, that bemuses me about it is I, I don't understand why Pendles would need to give it up. I mean, he's, he finished second in the best and fairest. He was eighth, the Players Association Captain of the Year. I mean, surely you know Joel Sell was an example. You know. You can be a leader without being captain and, and just keep playing till he retires as captain. It's it's Surely he's the best person for the job. Oh, it's just personal choice, isn't it, Richard? I think uh, Scott's always said that, and Nathan Buckley said it uh, last week, you know, they've had, they've had discussions for a long time uh, about when he will give up the captaincy. He always wanted to finish his career and not be the captain. He wanted to help the next captain to do it, which is... Which is pretty common. Joel Selwood was a, a little bit different, and that's not right or that's not wrong. He just wanted to continue to be captain, and, and the players can, wanted him to still be captain. So I feel like more players do it the Scott Pendlebury way than the other, that, that towards the end they like to hand it over. Um, but there's nothing wrong with doing it the Joel Selwood way as well. But um, look, it's not, it's not on his form. As you say, another top three finish in the best and fairest for Collingwood, and there's no reason he can't play good footy. Uh, this year. Thanks for your call, Richard. A Signet Boost Power Bank feed at fifty nine ninety five uh coming your way. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablets and earbuds powered twenty four seven. Uh another one here on the performance by Demonoy didn't have to move the ball, was hit straight back to him. The demon has no shots at all. All he can do is run. Well, I'm going to ask that to Courtney Walsh when he joins us uh, a little bit later. That does seem to be the criticism. He's only 23, Alex Demon, all this time, but he doesn't have, doesn't seem to have the weapons that's going to see him beat. You know, Djokovic is on his own level, but even has he got the weapons to beat You know, the sitzer passes of the world that are in the top five at the moment? So I'll put that question uh, to Courtney Walsh when he joins us on our McCafe menu today. Uh, big show coming up. Bryce McGain will join us. Uh, BBL back on uh, SEN tonight, big game at uh, Marvel. The Renegades and the Strikers both trying to get in the finals. Uh, Renegades fourth, Strikers sixth at the moment. Dave Hussey's going to join us. Really disappointing season again uh, for the Melbourne Stars. Um, so the coach of the Stars will join us. David Michaluzzi, uh, who's that made a really good start uh, to the PGA Tour Australasia this year. Won a tournament. Uh, he's currently second on the money list. The top three get their ticket onto the European Tour. So he'll tee it up down in Rosebud uh, this week. So we'll speak to David Michaluzzi. Jeremy Lodliga, uh, NBL. Great climax uh, to the season coming up. Also, the Pride Round uh, was launched yesterday. Um, a few concerns up in Cairns in terms of some of the players have said they're uncomfortable to wear the, the Pride Round uh, logo on their strip. Uh, so we'll talk to Jeremy Lodliga uh, about that one. And Steve Quick also will give us his tennis predictions uh, towards the end of the show. So big show coming up. John, hang on. We'll get you on the, the other side of the break. This is Mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech drive the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel all-wheel drive. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. We're talking to tennis. We're talking captaincy in the AFL. Of course, North named their dual captains earlier in the week. Collingwood's going to vote this week. There's still a couple other clubs where it's maybe up in the air uh, a little bit, uh, including the Bombers. And uh, John from Caroline Spring want, Springs wants to talk about that. G'day, Johnny. Hey, mate. Um, I just, being an Essendon member, mate, so I'm probably biased, but I just look at it and think, 
and as harsh as this sounds, and I mean, Essendon have started pulling the band-aid off, but I look at it, and as harsh as this is, I, I, I just, if Heppel's not captain, I, I don't know if he's in the best 22. I, I, he, he, I don't know. I don't know who takes over. I mean, you could look at McGrath or Merritt, but I just look at it and I think he gets found out a lot by opposition coaches that are smart enough to put someone on him that's quick and they turn him inside out and it's not like he can go forward and kick goals, so I'm not too sure. It doesn't look good. I think you bring up two good points, John. I think if Essendon is having a good year this year, Dyson Heppel should be in a fight to keep his spot in that team, I think that would be a sign that Essendon's going well if he's under pressure to keep his spot. And there's not many options at Essendon. They don't have the luxury of a Collingwood, for example, where you can reel off Moore, Adams, Maynard, Crisp, Howe, uh, who all look like you know captaincy material at Essendon. I don't think McGrath's established himself enough as a player yet to, to be the captain of that. So I think the one that shows really good leadership quality Maybe he's not quite there in terms of he needs another really good season to cement uh, himself as a really good AFL player as Mason Redmond. He's the one for me that stands out with a bit of leadership, you know, physicality. Um, he's got a bit of extrovert about him, which I think is always handy in a captain. So it's a good point. Uh, two points you make. One, is Dyson Heppel a lock for that team? Not if Essendon's going well. And uh, two, um, there's not many candidates to take over if it is uh, not Dyson again this year. Thanks for your call, John. Let's get to Clint in Ballarat. Wants to talk some tennis. G'day, Clint. G'day, Jules. How you going? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, terrific. I think Novak's Djokovic is unbeatable. Looks like that after the way he played last night, doesn't it, Clint? Did you like that one, Novak's Djokovic? Oh, Clint. Play on words. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, you're, doing a, you're doing a performance there. Any other gags you got for us? Uh, I think Maynard will barrack for uh, will, will captain Collingwood. Maynard and and the and the joke is I think Jeremy Howe could. <laughs> right. Thanks for your call, Clint. Uh, working beautifully this morning, uh, Clint in Ballarat. Uh, plenty coming through off the temper text. What do you want people saying about your club uh, this year? Uh, Jason says about Hawthorne. Gee, their young blokes are good. Uh, Liam from Mernders says, in terms of the Collingwood captaincy, more for five years, then move over more. It's Dacos's time to shine. Yeah, you think he would be uh, a captain at some stage. Hey, Julian, almost a fait accompli about Novak Djokovic, although I do think Seb Corder is a star on the rise. Like to see him take old Novak. Think he has a lot of scope and has a varied game. He could be the one, says Mock. From the block, uh, one points out here that Alex Demonor beat Rafa Nadal a month ago. Yeah, he did. But I think we've seen with Rafa at the end of last year and obviously got injured in the Australian Open. It's not quite the Rafa of old. So maybe that win doesn't hold as much gravitas as it does uh, in the past. Um, Kramer from Brisbane is a bomber supporter. Just have a go. Uh, Mike's, yeah, nice, Mike. I want to walk away from Essendon Games thinking they've talked themselves up again and failed to deliver. Thank you, Mike. Melbourne supporter. I want opposition teams to say they were bloody too good for us. That was from Brad. Uh, yeah, Carlton supporters are getting stuck in this morning. Essendon would have a better year this year without an All-Australian halfback from Blue Bagger. Adam Sard. I'm assuming that's a, a bit of a knock about Adam Sard. Well, Essendon might. Who knows? Mason Redmond might be an All-Australian halfback this year. North Melbourne motto. North Melbourne are back. Uh, Essendon hard to score against. And another Blues fan. We'll see how much you bomb enough. He's behind your team and captain when you're 1-5. Go Blues, says Tim in Mansfield. 
Well, as Shane Whitnell said, round one, go Tigers. Uh, let's get to Tim in Brighton. G'day, Tim. G'day, Julian. Good. How are you, mate? I'm well, mate. I want to talk about St Kilda, and yep. I want people to be saying this this season that St Kilda made the right decision mm-hmm. in getting rid of Brad Ratton and bringing in Ross, the boss, and company. Do you think they will be saying that, Tim? I think they will. I think we're going to improve, and I think that uh, uh, I know it's still too early to say, but I think they will. And how far up we go, I'm not sure. But if we can nudge nine and maybe even eight, then I'll be happy. And I think that's what people will say that was the right decision. Apart from the new coach, and obviously he'll bring a different style to Brett Ratton, where's the improvement going to come from at St Kilda? I think I think already I'm, I'm seeing the decision made by putting Bradley Hill on the wing and not putting him back and forward. They're already training uh, Wanganeen Malera on a half-back flank yep. to be a running half-back flank player. Matthew Allison, they're, they're, they're training to be a possible replacement for um, Max King in the mm-hmm. meantime. Uh, I think uh, that guy from uh, Carlton, Liam Stocker, Liam Stocker, uh, Stocker yep. I think he's going to come in and also go on the other wing and could be a hardball player on the wing. Uh, Defence, we've got Zane Cordy coming in. I think there's going to be improvement there. Thanks for your call, Tim. Yeah, interesting year for the Saints. Um, I don't, I can't see them improving enough to play finals, but uh, time will tell to see what Ross Line Mark Two uh, can do. And uh, let's hope they get Max King out there for the sake of anyone, everyone uh, ASAP. Okay, let's get to the news afterwards. A little sports update, and then Bryce McGain uh, is not too far away. So let's get the latest from the newsroom uh, with Anna Pavlou. Storm in Melbourne today, 27. The UV index predicted to reach 10 thanks to Sun Smart and cloudy tomorrow, 29. And thanks to Kia, tonight's evening session at the Australian Open is live from 7pm on SEN Fanatic and the SEN app. Their quarterfinals get underway at the Australian Open today. Unfortunately, no Australians left in the tournament after Alex Demonor was, well, comfortably defeated by Novak Djokovic. Uh, last night, sports update for effective freight solutions by air, road or rail. Get your simple freight solutions delivered by EFS. Check efs.net.au. A spoiler alert, uh, one game in the Premier League this morning, a London derby between Fulham and Tottenham at Craven Cottage to finish Fulham nil, Spurs 1. Uh, Harry Kane uh, with the goal for Tottenham. He's 266 goal, which levels the record for the club set by Jimmy Greaves between 61 and 70. Vital win for Spurs takes them within three points of Manchester United, who are fourth. Uh, but uh, Spurs have played one more game. Of course, Arsenal still lead at the top of the table by five points with a game in hand over Manchester City, followed by Newcastle and Manchester United. But they're 11 points behind Arsenal at this stage. Uh, BBL, so tonight, of course, and we're going to talk to Bryce McGain after the break. It's a big game for the Renegades at Marvel Stadium against the Strikers. Last night, the Sixers did it again. Steve Smith did it again. Man of the match performance, seven for 180, posted by the Sixers. Smith, 66 off 33. Uh, Dooley, the best of the bowlers for the Canes, three for 42. In reply, uh, the Canes could only manage eight for 156. Crawley, the best with the bat, 49 off 45. Jackson Bird, two for 26. And Sean Abbott, two for 32. 
So uh, those two teams, the Scorchers and Sixers, continue uh, to set the pace uh, in the BBL. Interesting story. We'll ask this to Jeremy Loliga uh, when he joins us uh, later in the show as well. But uh, in the Herald Sun, that the NBL's owner, Larry Kesselman, said the league has spoken with Bronny James as management in the mix to bring him to Australia. So this was sort of first floated late last year. Of course, the son of LeBron James. Um, so the, well, we'd love to see him here in the NBL. It's been a good little breeding ground for players that have gone on and played well in the NBA. So uh, it's good to see the NBL have already uh, reached out. So we'll speak to Jeremy Loliga about that and also the Pride round uh, a little bit uh, later in the show. Plenty through on the 40 Winks temper text. Carlton fans getting stuck in the Bombers. A few coming back. What is it with Carlton fans? They won't make the finals, says one. Carlton fans should keep quiet after last year's choke. They blabbed all year, and here we go again. Uh, North supporter here. I want opposition fans to, again, fear playing us, not knowing how well and dangerous we will be on the day, says Michael from Cranbourne. We'll all be talking about how good Ben Mackay's All-Australian fullback year was, says Noz uh, in Airport West. And uh, Shooter. In Kilsyth, Redmond, a lock for all Australian halfback, Nick Dacos on the other side. So that's from Shooter uh, in Kilsyth. So keep them coming through. We'll have more time to take your calls uh, later in the show. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We've got uh, an Oki Melbourne experience for four people. Vade at 360 bucks. 85 minutes of darts, game play, four share plates, and two signature cocktails each. We want to give it away. Otherwise, some little tight. You know what's around here? We'll try and take it, take the prize. We can give it away to someone that gives us a decent call throughout the day. Let's get to the break. On the other side, Bryce McGain to preview a big game tonight for the Renegades to be the Strikers at Marble Stadium. Come back to the show. If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. Bit of an overcast Melbourne morning, but uh, no rain at the moment. Should be okay for the tennis. Quarterfinals get underway at Melbourne Park uh, this afternoon. One man that was part of the SEN call team last night uh, covers the game better than most is Courtney Walsh, and he joins us this morning. Morning, Walshy. Yeah, good morning, Jules. I'm hoping all is well with you and the family. Going well, thank you. Uh, last night, oh, this whole thing around Novak Djokovic's injuries fascinates me. I mean, what's your take? Are we unfair when we um, analyse his injuries? Does he play up injuries? Has he got a bad hamstring? How do you sort of cut your way through it all? Uh, it's very, very, very perplexing, Jules. Uh, speaking to, a, I suppose, a coach... Uh, Yesterday, he said, hamstring, spare me. <laughs> you, you, listen to, you listen to Marcus Bagdonis uh, talking yesterday, and he said, has no doubt it's a, there's, there's an issue of sorts, but he's still moving incredibly well, and he has an ability to master this. Uh, you know, Taylor Fritz, the, uh, the top American, who a couple of years ago had a very hefty advantage against Novak in, a, in an Australian Open final when he... Sorry, Australian Open third round when he tore a abdominal muscle yep. in that match and somehow still managed to find a way through that and also uh, all the way through to winning the title with a tear that sort of lengthened to by about 1.2 centimetres to 2.7 centimetres. Uh, you know, he said, look, people carrying niggles onto court, some exaggerate, well, some handle it more quietly than others, some uh, perhaps show them up doesn't necessarily think it's showmanship or, uh, you know, or a form, I suppose, of uh, putting your rival off, but just says some people handle it differently. Novak, I think, is someone who is clearly vocal about it and, uh, and doesn't hide that he's having an issue. Now, whether that's part of his mental 
plan, whether it's legitimate. Uh, people are clearly having some discussions about that, but he was very, very, very uh, uh, expensive in Serbian press mm. after, afterwards. So players will speak in English, and he was fairly straight. He straight batted a lot of questions in terms of how he was feeling, what he was doing to cope with this problem. Uh, in Serbian, he certainly had a crack at uh, those accusing him of foxing. Uh, he, he was talking about... Uh, he, he's talked about the documentary that he's going to put out at some stage. Now, at the time, he said he would release the scans from his uh, stomach muscle injury a couple of years ago. He said he might do that again with this, with the MRI scans for this. He may not. It's, uh, it's in his domain. But he was certainly combative. There's never any shortage of drama around Novak, but the bottom line is, again, at Melbourne Park, he's playing unbelievably, particularly last night. Of the remaining seven players uh, in the field, who's the best chance, do you think, of beating Novak, if anyone is to beat him before this tournament ends? Look, I do think that it's probably Sitsipas. Uh, you know, he did lead Novak in a French Open final a couple of years ago that went... Uh, the distance, it was a really tight match. And we know that he plays so well at Melbourne Park. He, he, he has demonstrated that time and again. He was really good against Yannick Sinner, I thought, uh, on Sunday night in that thrilling five-set match. Uh, found his serve and his arm again deep in the fifth set and, and, and really finished off strongly. So I think he is certainly a chance. Look, Rublev is the next rival. A uh, very talented Russian, but he's now in his seventh Grand Slam quarterfinal, which is a very, very good deed and a measure of his consistency and his talent. But he hasn't been able to go beyond that. And he did go to a fifth set tiebreaker yesterday. So if you look at freshness, Dimonor, uh, well, sorry, Djokovic destroying Dimonor in less than two hours or Rublev forced to a, to a fifth set tiebreaker, which he wins with a dead leg court against Rune. Well, you're probably backing the Serbian in there to be uh, coming out and feeling uh, a little better on the court tomorrow. Uh, and then, look, in the other semi final, Two Americans, who one of whom is clearly an outstanding. Well, they're both very, very, very good players. But in Ben Shelton, perhaps we're seeing something special uh, with what he's doing on the tour. But the inexperience is there. You know, neither of them have gone to this stage of a Grand Slam before. Uh, Shelton's only in his second uh, Grand Slam overall. So to su- suggest that if it is Djokovic on the other end of the net, the other end of the court, and. Uh, either Shelton or Paul go up against him, well, you know, I think that's uh, in danger of being one-way traffic in a semi-final. So I would argue that it's a pass from this side of the draw, but he still has to get through today. That's right. I was going to ask you about the Americans, Walsh. You were talking to Courtney Walsh, uh, tennis journo, about all things at the Australian Open. Sort of growing up, you know, the American men were so dominant, you know, Agassi and Courier and then Sampras and then Andy Roddick came along as well. But they've sort of been in the doldrums. For a long time. Now you've got this huge batch, you know, Fritz and Tiafo, probably the, the two biggest names. They went out early in the tournament. You've got Corda playing today, the two you just mentioned. What are they doing right over in America that is suddenly producing a whole heap of quality men's tennis players? Yeah, you, you, you touch on uh, your very good point. And it's the first time I think in 20 years we've had three Americans in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open and the men's ranks. Uh, and I think they now will comprise, at the end of this Open, 20% of the top 50. So effectively 10 in the top 50, which is you know, a staggering achievement. Um, they've got a really strong college system over there, uh, which is where Shelton's come from. He had a couple of seasons uh, playing uh, in what's effectively their university college, uh, yeah, university system. We see the footballers coming through and playing in the NFL. 
there's a similar type of situation in the college ranks, but also at junior level. Clearly, there's great funding. Uh, the climate in some some areas, uh, you know, Florida in particular, is conducive to uh, world-class tennis conditions all year round. That's got to be a factor. They've got great coaches. Uh, you know, a lot of Australian coaches are over there. A lot of blokes, I suppose, from my generation, Jules, uh, Philip Hustis' general outstanding sort of uh, tour players or players just below the tour, they end up in Florida coaching. Um, and that happens from around the world. So they do have great sort of systems in place to produce players. Now, whether whether it's just coaching that is uh, at play or whether you need a genuine freak like a Djokovic to come through, like a Kyrgios who's a mercurial talent, maybe the Santos uh, Agassiz were just unbelievably gifted players that would have succeeded in any sort of system, but nonetheless, they've got a you know they've got one that's capable of training out world class players on a on a regular basis. Yeah, now they're doing beautifully at the moment. The Americans, uh, one is in action today, as we mentioned, uh, Seb Corder. That looks like a really interesting match against uh, Karen Hatchinoff. Who do you like in that one? Corder's been exceptionally good, and if we're looking at uh, the Djokovic form line, Corder went all the way and almost yeah. popped. Adelaide, admittedly in three sets. So I think he's been playing really well. Whether he recovers from that very big fifth set match against uh, Hubert Hurkacz a couple of days ago, that's the quandary for mine. I, I do like the way Harshanov's been playing. Uh, he was the one that famously derailed uh, Nick Kyrgios's run at the US Open last year in the quarterfinal when Kyrgios was the favourite for the title. So I think the Russian will be very hard to beat. And, and line, line ball, but, but I like the Russian given quarter had to go five sets a couple of days ago. Sorry, I was going to say, yeah, uh, women's quarterfinals today as well. Rabaikina and Ostapenko, who, who both caused uh, upsets in their own right uh, the other day, knocking out the number one seed and also Coco Goff, who a lot of people thought could go very far. That's a good match. But I, I love the one on paper between Bagula, who's probably just getting over the disappointment of the Buffalo Bills being knocked out of the NFL playoffs, and uh, Victoria Azarenka, who what, finished up at 2 o'clock the other morning. Yeah, look, in terms of both of those, I think Robbie Kenner, the reigning Wimbledon champion, uh, I think she was very, very good against Fiantec, who I think is below par of this tournament. Hasn't been quite at their best of the world, number one, but Robbie Kenner put it to the sword. Ostapenko can hit winners from anywhere. Uh, she's a former French Open champion, uh, but I do like Robbie Kenner in that one. And in terms of the Pagula Azarenka matchup, the, the query for me is that Jess hasn't, she's made four, four Grand Slam quarterfinals in the last five majors. But similar to Rublev, hasn't progressed beyond that stage. I do think that ends tonight. Azarenka, you know, the dual Aussie Open champion, uh, former world number one, fought so hard to get through uh, to this stage. It's good to see her back in a quarterfinal in Melbourne, seven years since the last time she did that. But it was a 2.17 finish yeah. uh, in the morning, Jules. She's not out of Melbourne Park till well after three. We saw Andy Murray sort of struggle to come back after that uh, epic against Kokonakis. In part, it was the physical demands of that. But Azarenka's gone three sets very early in the morning. I, I just don't know how she recovers from that. And Pagula's playing exceptionally good tennis. So I, I do think it's a right beginning of Pagula double today. Just on Victoria Azarenka, she's a character and she's a bit quirky. Um, why was she wearing, like, big sunglasses at a media conference at, what, 3 a.m. in the morning the other day? <laughs> there are some things that are beyond me, Jules. And uh, diagnosing uh, Novak's... Uh, Injury, that's certainly something that I, I, I could not put a finger to. And uh, as to that, well, would you have dated Red Foo back in the day? I'm not so sure I would have, but uh, no, <laughs> I'm sure he did. Not my type, so, Walshie, but that's okay. No, Each to their own. Um, 
but she is an exceptionally talented player. No, that one I can't answer. The uh, the three. I mean, it's bright in that press room at times, but uh, at that time, yeah, perhaps it was an indication that. I just want to get home to bed. Uh, it is past three o'clock. Let's keep this brief. And just finally, uh, we've obviously got the business end to come. How have you seen the tournament overall? There, you know, there was a few concerns with, you know, from the outside. You know, Kyrgios withdrawing. Nadal goes out early. Alcaraz wasn't here. Maybe it's not the strongest women's field we've seen. Of course, Ash Barty not returning this year. How have you seen the tournament so far in terms of quality, storylines, etc.? Look, I'm always one that uh, the sport is bigger than any one player, and certainly they've had some blows, but there are always new stars coming through for mine. Uh, I know there's been, uh, you know, certainly some criticism from some aspects of the media about uh, about the event and, and that it would be a fizzer. Well, in terms of numbers through the doors, unbelievable amount of people already through, about 580,000 or so uh, in the first week alone. Whether... It's had an impact on ratings without Mikirios, for example, being there. I, I can accept that that's probably a, probably a factor. But look, by and large, being on site, you've seen the people there, they're having a great time. So you probably back the numbers and, and, and you also accept that it's a global sport as opposed to just a purely you know, local sport. Kyrgios being out was a, a huge issue for Australians for a day. Around the world, no one else cared about yeah, that. That's a good point. The tournament progressed. No, that's a good point, and you're right. Every year there's uh, there's stories, there's controversy, and there's new stars on the rise, and we might see that between now uh, and the final. Walsh, you always uh, good to chat. Uh, enjoy the uh, the first segments of the quarterfinals today. Absolute pleasure, Jules. Great to talk to Courtney Walsh. He covers tennis uh, better than most. He travels to Wimbledon, US Open. He's been the French Open, so uh, always great to tap into his tennis knowledge. Uh, after the break, we're going to turn our attention to golf. Uh, David Michaluzzi is about to tee it up uh, down at the Rosebud Country Club in the first of the Players Series. He's also flying on the order of merit at the moment. We'll touch base with him after the break. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Well, it's crunch time in the BBL, particularly tonight for the Renegades and the Strikers. The Renegades fourth on the table at six and seven. The Strikers sit six on five and eight. You can hear it tonight on BBL Nation from 7.15. One man that will be calling all the action is Bryce McGain. And he joins us this morning. Morning, Bryce. Morning, Jules. Great to be catching up with you. And you're right, it's absolutely business end now. A few of these teams have had a, had some chances to lock away their spots, but they've just stumbled and stalled, except those two top teams. I was going to ask you about the top teams in a sec. and um, But the Renegades, just going back to their last game, David Moody misses tonight after he delivered two balls above waist tight. Aaron Finch thinks he was very unlucky with that second one in particular. How did you see all that? And do you think he is a little bit unlucky to be missing this game? Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. Maybe it comes down to not necessarily the form situation, but with uh, bowling just one legitimate delivery and being banned. But... Um, uh, from bowling in that in that game, but it probably comes down to matchups as well. Who they want to match up against the Adelaide strikers? Maybe they saw some matchups, some different bowling conditions that suited him uh, in that game uh, against the, the Scorchers, where they put on a pretty good run chase. Um, so th- that's probably where he finds himself missing out. A bit of a bouncier Perth Stadium wicket probably suited him a bit more. Just with the Renegades tonight, and it's been talked about a lot during this tournament, would you like to see Will Sutherland bat higher in their order, depending on the circumstance of the game? We've dug him out of some holes at different spots. He's got him close to some uh, games. 
boys, it would have been a breakout series for him. I, I'd love to see him go in there uh, as the, the, the freewheeling player. They've done it at different times, and he's done a terrific job. He's playing with enormous confidence, and I think it's come across from his Sheffield Shield. Um, he made 100 in the Sheffield Shield. Uh, I think his bowling is what's got him a game in the last few years, and he's been a handy bat. Now his batting's come to the fore, and I think what we'll see for the rest of his career is he's a batting all-rounder. He's handy with the ball. He, he, you know, He's a first-class five-wicket taker multiple times now, and he's been doing a terrific job in the T20. But I think his batting's come to the fore. Now he understands his game better, and he believes in himself a lot more, and he likes the responsibility. He's always been that type of player to take on the responsibility of the team situation. He's a good leader, a clear thinker about cricket. So it's all coming to fruition. That's the long answer. The short answer, yeah, I'd love to see him up the order and face more balls. <laughs> I think I think we all would. Just on the strikers, I think when all the test players came back, we probably all thought the strikers are probably going to benefit the most. They get Alex Carey and Travis Head back in their side, but it hasn't really worked out so far. No, and I think... What we're seeing, and I think we see it with Dave Warner as well, is some real mental fatigue. Even though they played maybe some softer opposition and the results were pretty straightforward, to get up for test cricket, it takes a lot of preparation mentally and, and physically. And then to play in the moments and perform the way that they did in, those, in the games, in the test series. And both those players took um, large steps to you know furthering their career and had real exceptional series. Uh, Alex Carey, I thought he could have been the player of the series for mine. So could a head as well, Travis Head. So I think they've just had the downside of that. Then transitioning to T20, they often talk about, oh, it's a bit of freedom. You can relax and go about it. But still, you make one mistake in T20 and they've got you. And that's what they're finding. That They haven't really hit their straps. But they could be so dangerous tonight at Marvel. It's going to be so interesting to see how those players get up for this particular game after a few flat performances. The outlier all that, of course, though, Bryce, is Steve Smith. 66 off 33 again last night. Two centuries. And look, they're probably not... I don't, I don't remember that many people questioning it at the time, but it is now hard to believe that he played one match in the T20 World Cup for Australia, and that was the last match. I think what we're seeing is just his um, concentration, mental capacity, as some of the the best uh, in Australia are really struggling with that transition. He's still able to tune his mind, his body to performing at the uber elite level. No one is getting close to the way he... He's nearly clocked the game of cricket, Jules. It's been ridiculous the way he's been playing. And I think it's a bit of a stroke of genius too, I think, behind the scenes uh, with the coaching staff, with Greg Shippard, and even Cameron Watt uh, as the assistant coach there. Cameron White's been an advocate for some time of him batting up the order and opening, suggesting that he's maybe not that problem solver, that number four in T20 that knocks the ball around and hands it over to the big hitters. But his ability to hit the ball at 360 degrees when the field has to be up for four overs, has now come into fruition. He is always off to a flyer because his hand-eye coordination is so good and he can hit the same ball in four different spots. So wherever you put the, the boundary rider out to protect the boundary, he's got three other shots where he can hit that same ball. He's a pure genius and it's a, such a pleasure 
to be watching him play the game now. It's so good to watch. He's still got time on his side in terms of his career. I know he said that he's not sure how long he'll play for, but right now, is he clearly the second best batter Australia's ever produced? I mean, behind Bradman. Yeah, it's difficult to compare that situation. Um, A good friend of mine, Paul Kennedy, has just done one with Tendulkar and Bradman uh, that that went out... uh, just the other other night and or coming up and it's just I think it might have been out last night actually um, on the ABC and uh, it's certainly worth a view of that a documentary that um, Paul Kennedy put out about Tendulkar and Bradman but it's so hard to compare different eras you can do it with stats but in terms of an all-round game that it's transformed it, it, Bradman didn't get to play T20 cricket um, no one-day cricket, just test cricket, but it was a complete outlier in that game. Oh, he, he's absolutely performing to levels that we've only dreamt of. And maybe um, some of us mere mortals have only done in stick cricket because he's been <laughs> absolutely extraordinary. And I've got to say, Jules, isn't it unreal to watch someone at the absolute mm-hmm. best just make it look easy? Absolutely, and that's what he's doing at the moment. We're talking to Bryce McGain. He'll be on the mic tonight. It's the Renegades and the Strikers. Uh, coverage begins at 7, live on SEN around the country tonight. Play gets underway at 7.15. So T20 is meant to be a bit of a you know, a fluky game, unpredictable results. Anyone should be able to beat anyone. But right now, I think we'd all be surprised if it's not a Sixers versus Scorchers grand final. Why have these teams not just this year, but over the history of the competition, really, being able to separate themselves from the rest? It comes down to all the aspects of all great teams, I think. And it's a difficult competition because you only get the players together fundamentally for a week before you get cracking. So it might be as long as 10 days before the Big Bash starts that you get your players from different areas and be able to do that. So then it comes down to the man management of the people around the organisation. It certainly comes down to the talent in your list and how they can continually uh, pull the right levers to get the players performing at their absolute best. So there's a, there's a lot of things that go to it. Then it comes down to the players themselves knowing their role and having it crystal clear and unbelievably supported unconditionally by everyone else in the squad. And the teams that are able to do that successfully have been these two. They've been standouts for a long time. I think Perth Scorch has benefited as a culture, as an organisation from the, the lockdowns where they spent so much time together. They made that a family time. They're a really family organisation. They, they have kids. They are all associated. They know each other inside and out and their families. And we know that that brings good organisations, good sporting teams in any code, it brings them together and delivers a lot of trust. So I think it's all of those aspects that these teams have been able to get right. It's also stability. They don't have a lot of ins and outs and changes. They do a few little tweaks and they look for improvements and help players improve to get better. Uh, And, you know, it seems like a seamless transition, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. When players go out injured, like a Mitch Marsh, in comes an Aaron Hardy, 
but that's been years in the preparation and support and the confidence that everyone has around him so he can perform at his best. If you... it's, uh, it's, they're really good stories. I'd love to see behind the scenes more about them. Um, I'm trying to delve in there and talk to the players every moment, but they're the things that I'm gathering. It's a combination of everything, and they're doing it so well. Have you got one ahead of the other in terms of this season? If you've got one that you think might get the job done and Say that first final. Who have you got? Who have you got winning that game? Gee, uh, for me, it's a flip of a coin. Earlier on, I would have said Perth. Uh, I think with the Australian Tests who are going and Ashton Agar on that, I think that's a loss for Perth. I think Mitch Marsh out is also a loss. Um, I think the Sixers are playing some enormously confident T20 cricket. They've really got it going, and it is on the back of Steve Smith who goes off as well. So I I just don't know. It's a flip of a coin. It's going to be one almighty game, and it's going to be interesting to who steps into those roles. It could be a Daniel Hughes for the Sydney Sixers that comes in, who you'd think's been warming the bench and is stone cold, but he might turn one on just like Steve Smith has done. And the other players, of course, the depth of the Perth Scorchers, it's so difficult to select, but... Um, I think we're, what we're going to see is two enormous games. There'll be a qualifier and there'll be a final, and I think it'll be pink and orange fighting it out. Yeah, it's hard to see anyone else doing that uh, at the moment. Uh, Dan Christian's been such a good player uh, for a range of BBL clubs. He's still doing it for the Sixers, but announced his retirement uh, the other day. Um, he's, he's had a wonderful career, hasn't he? Not only in the BBL, but uh, around the world playing particularly T20 cricket. Yeah, I reckon he's got a grey hair for all the successes that he's had. <laughs> Not only titles, but all the games that he's won off his own bat and all the bowling performances. He's got a grey hair for every one of them. And, uh, look, he, he's been so good to watch. And I know that the Sydney Sixers couldn't believe that he was left on the shelf a few years ago and said, what, he's available? Oh, we'll have him. And it's helped them to further success. He, he's just a, a terrific team player. He's an all-round cricketer. And uh, his, his time at the, the, the Victorian Bush Rangers at the time was uh, pretty special um, when he came across and, and helped the further success of the Victorian group. And, um, look, he, he's going to be fondly uh, thought of, fondly, uh, well, uh, considered as one of the greats of T20 cricket and one of the forefathers, I suppose, of the game and the, the high, high success stories. Before we let you go, Bryce, so who wins tonight? Do the Renegades get the win they need to play finals or can you see the Strikers, uh, you know, maybe getting back to some of their best form and a couple of their test stars actually clicking into gear? Strikers are dangerous, no doubt about it, Jules. But for me, tonight, it's going to be the red team. It's uh, a time for them to put on the performance that they've wanted to do to lock themselves away up in the pointy end of the finals and, and deliver some confidence. They had a good reset when they were away in Perth. It wasn't a bad game. Yes, they got done. It was a good opportunity to go up against the best. Now they have some of that good form and uh, uh, put it to the strikers tonight at Marvel. Red team for me. Yeah, it's been a great... Uh, the Big Bash has got better and better as it's gone on, and we're reaching climax uh, now, starting with tonight. The Gades and the strikers at Marvel. Coverage on SEN from 7pm. You'll hear Bryce McGain behind the mic. Uh, Bryce, thanks for your time this morning. No problem at all. Looking forward to hearing and listening and tuning in with everyone tonight. Welcome back to the show. The Players Series Victoria gets underway on Thursday down at the Rosebud Country Club. And one man will be hoping to continue his good form is David Michaluzzi. And he joins us this morning. G'day, David. 
Hi, how are you going? I'm very well. Uh, what sort of conditions, what sort of course are you expecting at uh, the Rosebud Country Club, which is a, a sensational track? It is, it is a good track. Uh, I haven't been there since the tournament uh, last season, so I think it was I think it was about this time last year. But oh, the weather's great, so I'm expecting probably hard and fast golf course. Uh, we've had not much rain over the last probably few months, and yeah, just just looking forward to it. Such a good golf course, and yeah, love being back. Player series is a really interesting concept for tournaments. Um, the prize money's gone up fifty thousand at each tournament uh, this yep. year. What, what do you make of it as a concept? Oh, it's awesome! It's awesome because I, I played like amateur golf with most of the girls who are playing this week, so it's awesome to catch up with them and just like yeah, just the whole concept of of uh, just the one one purse. It's it's great. I, I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, brings brings two tours together and. Hopefully we can build from that, and I think other tours are starting to do it. I think they did it on the DP World Tour as well, so, yeah, it might be a thing for the future. You must enjoy looking at the order of merit at the moment. You're currently second, uh, Cam Smith first, Min Woo Lee third, and Adam Scott fourth. And we know the top three get get their, uh, you know, their tour card next year in Europe. Um, you must be wrapped with your start to the season, and uh, nice to be uh, in a list with those guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, had, I had a pretty good start to, to the season uh, with a win, and yeah, just been playing solid. I didn't, I didn't have the best of weekends at the Aussie Open. I was obviously was was leading after a couple of days, but uh, yeah, just keep playing solid. I, I feel like I've had about four weeks off over the summer break, and I've done some pretty good work and feeling pretty good about my game. So hopefully, we can keep the keep the ball rolling and, yeah, see what happens at the end of the season. I was going to ask you about the Australian Open. What did you learn out of that experience? 63 in the first round, as you said, leading halfway through and it didn't quite happen for you on the weekend. What What do you take out of that in, in such a, a significant tournament? Uh, there was a lot of people. Uh, like <laughs> obviously, obviously playing with Scotty. So I think uh, just like movements in the crowd, there was a, like, and it was quite hot as well. So And because there was a lot of people there, I think it felt a lot hotter than what it actually was. So probably just to, just take a little bit more time, no rushing, no rushing and all that. Well, not rushing, but just taking that extra bit of time, knowing that you're the last group, it's it's all right. Like just yeah, just chill out a little bit. Like yeah, you are playing with a major champion, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, but other than that, like there was a couple of flaws in the technique, a little bit got a little bit carried away with all that kind of stuff. So hopefully this. Last, uh, last half of the season can just be just flat out playing and just play with freedom. Is that the first time you'd played a professional round with Adam Scott? Yeah, yeah. I met him I met him about four or five years ago in Japan. So I, I've met him before. I've come across him a couple of times as well. Um, but yeah, that was the first time playing. He's such such a good dude. Yeah, he's, he's like a good dude. Um, yeah. You broke through at the WAPGA last year. It's a, it's a it's a funny game, golf. You can be playing so well for such a long time, but yet you don't win a tournament. What, what did that mean to you to finally break through and, and win a professional tournament? Well, I, yeah, it's so hard. It's exactly, it's so hard to win a golf tournament. I, did, I haven't won. An, I didn't win an event for five years <laughs> before that. So, like, my last win was in 2018. So, yeah, amateur event and professional event. So, I was an amateur for the next two years. Didn't win a thing, and then. This was my third year as a pro. Still haven't won it. Still haven't won anything. And then yeah, WAPJ came about. But it was 
it was a weird one because with six holes to go, I was nowhere near it. I was three back uh, with probably about eight people around the lead. So, um, yeah, just hit some really good shots coming down the stretch and, yeah. Is, is it hard to stay patient? As you say, you know, you haven't won for five years. You can be playing really well and you don't actually get that win. Is it hard to just, I guess, maintain the faith in what you're doing and remain patient and not, you know, push too hard to win when you get in situations where you are a chance to win? 100%, 100%. Yeah, you've got to be as patient as possible. Me, I'm not so patient, <laughs> so it's very difficult. Um, but, like, the more tournaments you play, the... Um, the more, or the more, the more times you're up in contention, you learn little bits and bits about what you do uh, and things and all that, all, all stuff like that. Um, the WAPJ was weird because I hadn't been in that position for a very long time, but it felt it felt normal. Everything I did was it felt it felt normal, which was which was which is a good thing. But then once I'm back in that situation, I don't want to be too chilled out. I want to still be able to, like, hit the right shots at the right time, think about it, and all, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, winning winning isn't easy. Speaking to Australian golfer David Michaluzzi, second at the moment on the order of the merits, and uh, if you can maintain that position, a spot in Europe next year is going to tee it up uh, in the TPS Victoria this week down at Rosebud Country Club on Thursday. What would it mean to you to finish in that top three and uh, seal a ticket to, to Europe? Yeah, it'd be it'd be unreal. Um, obviously, to to play on on the DP World Tour would, would be would be awesome. I want to win the Order of Merit. I think there's a few more things you get um, with the um, with the DP World Card. The DP World Tour doesn't start until I think December. I think we're the first event out uh, next year. So, uh, winning the Order of Merit is definitely on my mind, and I really want to achieve that. Uh, it will hopefully set out the rest of the year and then the rest of next year. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to it. It'll be, it'll be unreal. It'll be unreal to play with the guys that I played with with Amateur Golf uh, overseas. And, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. Are you still working with your short game coach or was that just a, a brief period you had? I think it was Andrew Cooper. Uh, I'm still working with him. Still working with him. So, uh, himself and Marty Joyce, who's been my coach for the last 11 years, 10, 11 years. Uh, yeah, me. Um, I started work with Coops uh, April last year, um, and yeah, we're just we've just we've done everything we've done everything well so far, and games heading into a direction that we all wanted to to trend towards. So uh, hopefully we can keep going, and hopefully we can keep this team for a very long time. I noticed you said in an interview late last year you want to win some more money so you can spend it on your car. Uh, yeah. What what sort of car are you driving? And, and it sounds like cars are a bit of a passion. Uh, yeah, well, I said I wanted to do up my car, but then after the two good weeks at Aussie Open and Aussie PGA, I decided to buy a new car. Nice. <laughs> yeah, What'd you I get? Bought, uh, HSV Club Sport. Yeah. A, uh, a VF model. So I was uh, very happy about it. Got a pretty decent price, and I'm driving in it right now. So Very nice. So, very. Hopefully, hopefully in a couple of weeks, uh, it's a little bit louder. So if you call me up, we can find here a little bit. <laughs> so what what modifications will you make to it if you win a bit more cash? Uh, just just exhaust system for now. Just just have a nice note to it. Um, 
and then we'll see from there. We'll see from there. Lovely. What else do you like doing away from the go- uh, golf course, David? Uh, literally, it's not much. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, my... my uh, I had time off over Christmas, so I didn't really practice much, but I was still playing heaps of golf. So I like playing, I like playing golf with my mates at Peninsula or at Cranbourne. Um, just, it, you know, just muck around, hit the ball around, have some fun. Like, it's just a, just a bit of freedom, let my mind just chill out for a little bit while still playing and keeping on top of a few things. But uh, other than that, uh, I wash the car quite a bit. <laughs> Keep it clean. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, yeah it's just not much, really. Not much. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever come across our own Andy Marr at Peninsula? I, I've, seen, I've seen Andy a couple of times, yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you seen him hit the golf ball? Oh, not for a long time. Mm. I barely, barely can remember, actually. Yeah, no, he's pretty solid. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. He's pretty slow. And when you play with your mates, are we talking about a bunch of mates that can play some pretty decent golf, or have you got a couple of hackers amongst your mateship group? Uh, no, 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 we're all pretty good. I think <laughs> probably uh, the highest handicap will be maybe like 14. And then, like, a few of my, few of my mates play off scratch, plus figures and all that. So, like, like we're, all, we're all pretty good. We're all pretty solid golfers, so... Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of fun there's a lot of fun, funny stuff going around when uh, when we all get together. Just one on the the principle of golf. Uh, Sam Emben here is hosting breakfast at the moment. We had a golfing weekend away uh, two years yeah. ago, and they gave him a handicap of fifty four because he's basically never played before. Is that acceptable? Yeah. Someone plays off fifty four. Uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. <laughs> Fifty-four is a bit, a bit of a stretch. It's a that? bit generous, isn't it? <laughs> I think, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I thirty. Well, back, well, back like how, however many years ago, thirty-six is just like, geez, okay, that's that's not great. But then, yeah, you go to fifty-four. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, re- so it's, it's a re- lot. That's a lot of shots. You don't want to play him in handicap match play, I tell you that. No, and he still didn't win, <laughs> so that shows how bad he is. <laughs> hey, David, good fun chatting this morning. Uh, good luck down at uh, Rosebud Country Club and, and for the rest of the season. We're hoping like hell you'll be on that European tour next year. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the chat. Great to chat to David Michaluzzi, and uh, I hope Sam Edmonds listening as well. 54, an absolute disgrace. So let's get to the newsroom now with Anna Pavluk. Welcome back to the show. Jeez, it's been a tight, uncompromising, thrilling run in the NBL, and it's coming up to an ex- exciting climax with the spots uh, in the playoffs still up for grabs. Uh, this weekend, too, we've got, or this week, we've got the inaugural champion Pride Round, which begins uh, tomorrow night when the Phoenix take on Cairns. And uh, NBL Commissioner Jeremy Lowliga has been good enough to join us to talk about that and a heap of other issues in the game. G'day, Jeremy. Yeah, Julian, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. When did the idea of a champion Pride Round first get I guess thrown up, discussed, and and what sort of correspondence correspondence have you had with your clubs in the build up? Yeah, it was probably probably a good four months ago. I'd say that it was first being discussed, and then um, it was first made known to to players around the um, the time of the preseason blitz up in Darwin. So it's been a really good consultative process between ourselves, clubs. Uh, the ADPA, the Players Association, and Pride in Sport, uh, of, of whom we are a member. Um, and there's been an extensive training process going on in the lead-up to Pride Round and giving everyone the opportunity to 
understand why this is important to us, uh, why it's important to community, um, ask questions without any judgment, um, and to continue to, I guess, share and express the message that we know basketball is a very inclusive sport. We want people to be aware that the NBL is a very inclusive uh, league. And um, this is all about us making sure that everyone's aware that everyone is welcome to be who they are and open about it. And we are welcoming of you. And we've seen that, of course, with Isaac Humphreys uh, late last year. But just so when it was first floated, was there any reservations mm. thrown up? Because it does appear there's some Cairns Taipans players that have, you know, spoken to management. They're a bit hesitant to wear the uh, Pride yeah. Round Rainbow logo. Was there anything when it was first floated, yeah. any hesitancy from yeah. anyone? Yeah, there, there were certainly questions about what expectations were going to be and what exactly this was going to mean for players and what it was going to mean as a league. So, so let me be very clear. We're not mandating that anyone has to do anything um, during Pride Round. We're not trying to force our opinions or views on anyone else. We're, we're saying this is the league's view, um, that we are an inclusive uh, workplace, that we are an inclusive community. Um, but it's the great thing about living in Australia is that everyone is entitled to their opinions. And so we're inviting um, all players to, to wear a special logo on their uniform for Pride Round, but we're not mandating that anyone has to do so. Um, we support any, everyone's opinion and everyone's right to have an opinion. Um, and we're encouraging of people to continue to ask questions, understand issues and topics, and how our view reconciles with their view is a perfectly valid part of that dialogue. So um, there have been some uh, questions along the way, and most of them have been really sensible and interesting questions that have led to ongoing dialogue, which is kind of the point. Do you worry, though, if, you know, say a few Cairns players choose not to wear it and it's not you know, blowing up like it did in the NRL with Manly and we've seen it, a couple of issues around AFLW as well, does it, does it take away from the message you're trying to share if, if people are focusing on a few players that might not get involved, for the want of a better term? Oh, look, if, if that's where people choose to focus their attention, then I do think it could detract from the message. But I think we're talking about uh, a small number of players um, out of a, a large number of players who are very supportive. And I think that's the principal point that we should be taking from this is that there's been a great spirit um, of wanting to be engaged uh, and wanting to understand more. And I think if, if the single biggest takeaway from this is that every player and staff member was afforded the opportunity to undertake more training in this regard and understand the issues better and then make their own decisions in relation to those issues, that's a positive thing to take away from it. Um, we're, we're still taking baby steps. This is our first Pride Round. I hope it's the first of many. Um, and if this was a starting point and we can continue to have those conversations this time of the year, every year, then... So be it. I think that's a great outcome. Has there been any discussions around the NBL about Australia Day? We've seen, you know, Ash Gardner, Australian women's cricketers, made her thoughts uh, well known. She's disappointed the Australian women's cricket team uh, is playing on Australia Day. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, other issues as well. The Australian Open's not sort of recognising Australian Open uh, um, Australia Day. They're just calling it the 26th of January. You've got a you've got a game on Australia Day. Has that been discussed at all about whether? You should be playing on Australia Day or at least when you're playing, recognising it as Australia Day? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a subject of, of conversation. Um, look, we, we understand that it's a day that, that marks uh, 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 an equitable history um, and for some a loss of freedom and, and it's a very difficult day for many 
not just First Nations people, but many people around the country, as they continue to understand the, the subject matter more, um, it, it's a day that causes them anxiety and, and upset. So um, we think it's important to acknowledge uh, our past, um, but we don't think it's necessarily about the 26th of January. Maybe there's some other occasion on which we uh, acknowledge and celebrate all of the things that are fantastic about our country. Um, and at the same time, on the, on the 26th of January, we reflect upon the nation's history. Um, we try and understand uh, everyone's position in relation to that history. Um, but we maybe find other opportunities to celebrate what it is that we love about Australia collectively. But obviously we, we have our own reconciliation action plan. Um, we're very um, mindful of continuing to do more in terms of our reconciliation with, with First Nations people. And so I think it's sensible for ourselves and other sporting codes around the country to reflect very carefully on, on what it is exactly Australia Day marks for different members of our community. Jeremy, Larry Kesselman, when he asks questions, he normally gets a yes. Um, Brody James, <laughs> what, what chance he can get Brody James to Australia or what chance the NBL can get Brody to come and play here? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one that we, we've asked a lot of people whether or not he might have interest. Um, he's certainly a talented player and he's got a bit of pedigree, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Also got a, yeah. He's also got a pretty tight affinity with a number of US colleges and um, uh, you know, we, we know that he's done a number of visits with some very big schools over there. Um, we've, we've certainly reached out to have the conversation. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended up somewhere like uh, Oregon, um, which happens to coincide with where Nike headquarters are based, and it's a big, it's a big Nike school. And rumour has it that his father has something to do with Nike these days. So, uh, <laughs> um, it, you know, there are synergies there that I think would be very difficult to untangle. Um, but at the same time, Brony, if you're listening, <laughs> we're, we're here, mate. We'll find a spot for you. Yeah, we'll find a spot. He'll be listening on the SEN app. I've got no doubt about Absolutely. that. Uh, Jeremy, it's been a, an amazing season and, it, and the best is yet to come. So tight, this race for the playoff spots. It's interesting, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, time of the season with John Kane Arena not available. You've got Australian Open on. You're competing with the Big Bash. I'm not sure what the television ratings are saying, but the, the numbers in the stadiums, you know, Sydney, 14,000 the other day, sellouts in a lot of places. Um, it, it's going beautifully at the moment at a really, I guess, competitive time in the Australian sporting calendar. Yeah, we're very, very pleased. You're, you're right that numbers in venue have been... They've been quite staggering. I think Adelaide sold out their past four games, but in each one of those four games, they broke their all-time attendance record one after the other, and... and I think the way that that happens is and sometimes there are season ticket holders who um, who count officially as a ticket that has been sold, but perhaps for one reason or another can't attend the game. Well, even the members now have been encouraged to get along to every single game because those tickets are in hot demand. And so they've broken their all-time attendance record four consecutive games, which I think is very, very cool. Um, you, you noted the Sydney crowd the other night, which was huge. Perth numbers are picking up again. We saw a little bit of a, um, a drop-off in Perth numbers for a short time there. But that team is starting to click at the right time of year as they have a, a very scary tendency to do. Um, and we see the Red Army coming back out in force. It is a shame not to have John Kane Arena at the moment because I'm sure we'd be packing those out at the moment as well with both Melbourne United and South East Melbourne hitting a pretty rich vein of form as well. So... Couldn't be happier, and the TV numbers are also reflecting that. I'm pleased to report we've had a really big uptick in ratings 
If you... We asked this question uh, the other day to Nick Trulson. In the future, say, you know, for a, a big playoff game involving either United or Phoenix, if the, or they were playing each other, for example, in a big game, you know, whether it's a playoff game or not, can you see a day where we do get a game back at Rod Laver Arena? Yeah, yes and no. Um, <laughs> you, it's a, I can certainly see the discussion taking place. In fact, we've had the discussion with Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust before, you do get that additional capacity in there. There's a question mark over whether or not the experience is actually better in John Kane Arena. Um, there's a little bit more flexibility with the venue there, particularly with people down closer to the court. Um, so it's six of one, half a dozen of the other in terms of whether or not you want to open it up to more people to get in and enjoy the experience or whether or not you make the most of the experience for the people who are there. But certainly the crowd numbers would be significant enough to warrant the conversation. And if the venue was available, um, it, it's certainly an interesting topic. There's also a lot of bump in and bump out. So going into Rod Labor when it's not accustomed to having basketball on a, a week-in, week-out basis is a, a very significant effort as well. So you need quite a long period of venue availability is my understanding. Our first year of the play-in tournament, uh, you couldn't have timed it any better, the introduction, given uh, third, fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh are basically on the same amount of wins. Apart from, you know, Wildcats have played one less, but the Breakers, Jack Jumpers, Phoenix and United all on 14 wins. So if you're going to have a play-in and get it down to the wire, it's the perfect scenario. We got pretty lucky, didn't we? I'll, <laughs> I will claim that it was by design, but there's a fair element of... Go on, claim it. And, and, yeah, claim it, OK. Um, so... I think it's great. We always talked about the fact that we wanted more cities to remain in the hunt for longer rather than we, we often get asked the question, why not extend the number of games in the semifinals or the final series? We still live in relatively small cities. And so asking, uh, asking the same people to turn up to three games or five games of basketball in a relatively or four games rather in a relatively short amount of time is a big ask if you were extend the semifinals to five or the finals to seven, but keeping more cities in the race for that little bit longer and giving more people the opportunity to experience play-in or play-off basketball, um, I think it's played off really well. And I think the, the, the level of the competition now is such that it, it just makes so much sense because ordinarily those top eight teams, you could throw a blanket over them. Just claim it because if you don't, Heath O'Loughlin will. So make sure you claim it as your idea, Jeremy. Got it. It was all me. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, thanks so much for your time. Uh, good luck with the inaugural uh, Pride round. It's uh, going to be a thrilling uh, season, uh, finish to the season. Uh, we can't wait. Uh, thanks again for your time. Good on you. Thanks very much, Julian. It's Dave Hussey, who joins us this morning. G'day, Dave. Morning, Jules. How are you? I'm good. Uh, been a bit of reflection ahead of your last game uh, in charge. Uh, yeah, there's been yeah, been a lot of reflection actually. Um, yeah, some fond memories, uh, some not so fond memories, but um, it's, yeah, just unfortunate I couldn't get the best out of the boys to qualify for the finals this year, and um, it's time for somebody else to take over and, and take the group forward. Is there a, a, a tinge of sadness that tomorrow night's your last game in charge? Uh, a tinge of sadness because I haven't achieved what I what I set out to achieve with with this group, a uh, talented group of players. Um, that's probably the, the most disappointing thing and probably one of the regrets that I have. But um, a tinge of re- relief as well that somebody else can take this group forward and uh, hopefully get the best out of them and, and allow them to uh, fulfil their potential of uh, playing finals cricket and hopefully winning the BBL. Why do you think the success hasn't come for you in your tenure, as you say, with a, with a pretty talented group? Yeah, we've got a 
a really talented group. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I just haven't been able to get the best out of all the uh, the players. Um, yeah, we've had some injuries which haven't helped. COVID hasn't helped. Um, but there's no no real excuse at the end of the day. When when you step on that park, everybody's fit and healthy, and uh, it's eleven on eleven. And unfortunately, we haven't got the uh, the job done when, when it's counted the most. So, how much personal responsibility? Do you take in that? You, you've said a couple of times you you haven't been able to get the best out of these players, so it sounds like you you're taking that you know quite personally. Yeah, it's all on me because I'm a head coach and my assistants Clint McKay and Ben Roar have been unbelievable. They're excellent. They work incredibly hard and go over and above to get the best out of the players and uh, and have them prepared as well as they possibly can. But unfortunately, um, the, the strategies that I put in place and uh, just hasn't allowed our players to. Uh, actually keep their skills under immense pressure at the MCG. And, um, yeah, it's time for somebody else to, uh, to take that rein on and, and hopefully they, they can get the best out of the players to fulfil their, their dreams of winning the BBL. How much of a learning experience has it been for you, given you've had everything uh, thrown at you? As you said, COVID, some wins, some tough losses. How, how much have you learnt from this whole experience? Yeah, um, that's probably the, the one key uh, takeaway, really, is uh, some of the experiences you've had uh, is you wouldn't have been as expected. Um, but... It's some of the things that you're going to take on uh, for everyday life going on forward and uh, just know that I've experienced uh, some of the heartaches and, uh, and some of the uh, you know, injuries and uh, illnesses and, and um, being locked away for a couple of years. Uh, it's, uh, it's something you'll take away and uh, good learning experiences take forward to, uh, to future life goals. So you've got the role of uh, Head of Male Cricket of Cricket Victoria. Was it any, ever a possibility you could do both roles if that was something you wanted to do? No, I didn't want to do it. Um, it's it's unethical to be in charge of uh, male male Victorian cricket uh, in the blue space, uh, and then uh, sort of make decisions on uh, green and red red, yep. red space at the same time. So it's you know unethical to uh, to sort of uh, unbiasedly you probably uh, just go into meetings and probably favour the stars, so the stars players. So now it's uh, just a clean, fresh break, um, and therefore I can just focus on the blue stuff and, and help out the red team and the green team uh, going forward. Speaking to outgoing Melbourne Stars coach David Hussey, obviously it's, it's been a disappointing season, as you've mentioned, but if you had to touch on a couple of positives out of this season, whether it's some individuals or, or a couple of performances, what, what would they be when you review it all? Well, the, the growth of Liam Hatcher has probably been the, yeah. the, the biggest one. Uh, we recruited him uh, three years ago. Uh, well, probably wasn't getting the opportunity he was, was hoping for at the Sydney Thunder, and he's made the move down to Melbourne, and he's sort of made the MCG home. He falls fast, and He's probably been the, the shining light, and the other one is probably Joe Clark's uh, 100 at the MCG against the Hobart Hurricanes, which got us a win, and, and Marcus Stoinis is batting at the Adelaide uh, Oval um, on New Year's Eve. So they're probably the three keys. Uh, unfortunately, there's just John far between, and we haven't been consistent enough to uh, qualify for the finals. There's two outstanding teams again in the BBL. It's the Sixers and the Scorchers. They've been the two outstanding franchises you know, throughout the history of the competition. Why do you think those two franchises in particular have been so consistent for over a decade now when a lot of the other clubs have been up and down? Um, yeah, probably Perth because they're probably playing all year round. Their squad doesn't really change too much. And I guess uh, being part of the, the wacker, they can sort of uh, train T20 style um, during the, the pre-season. And, and same with the Sydney Sixers too, albeit... Um, they've got a more of an older, more mature squad, and but their squad rarely, really changes. So um, I just think having those, um, uh, yeah, just having those settled squads uh, just definitely allows them to play um, their their most consistent cricket. They they know what they're going to do with their strategies uh, week in week out, and 
as probably the most consistent theme across the board. You're glad it's not the Sixers you're coming up against tomorrow night because I'm tipping planning for Steve Smith right now is not easy. <laughs> yeah, he's caught fire, hasn't he? He's been a, a great inclusion by the Sydney Sixers and I think he's just they've just elevated their game to a new level and he just gives a lot of confidence to uh, to all their teammates, the squads going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how they... Um, how they go when he disappears after the uh, the first qualifying final against the Scorchers. He's been a bit of an outlier, though, hasn't he, Dave, in terms of the returning Test players? Not many have fired much of a shot. I mean, Matt Ranshaw had a great innings at the MCG, of course, but has that surprised you a little bit, or is it really difficult to go back from Test match cricket to, to BBL cricket? Well, I think Steve's the anomaly, really. He can adapt uh, very, very quickly, and, and he's probably one of the better players uh, on news pitches going around, but it is difficult coming back from the heights of uh, playing international cricket and, and a successful international summit to uh, the BBL. It's, uh, it's a new intensity and you've really got to give yourself up for the games and um, just proves that um, BBL cricket is uh, a very of a high quality and high standard and you've got to be at your best in, in order to perform. Overall, have you been, not from a star's point of view, but from a competition point of view, it seems to be, it's been a really good season, particularly sort of post-Christmas. Do you think there's been improvements in the competition this year? Yeah, I do. Um, I think the quality of cricket played on the field has been exceptional. And I think we touched on it before, the, the international players coming back after their test matches, um, I, I think that really adds to the growth of the tournament. And hopefully in, in future years, um, more international players get get an opportunity to play in the BBL because, A, it's a really good competition to play in. It's in front of uh, decent crowds at the biggest grounds in Australia, which is, um, I think, it's part and parcel of... Uh, playing in the, in the probably arguably uh, the second best T20 competition in the world. And just in your new role, head of male cricket at Cricket Victoria, it's been such a, a successful program. Uh, Victoria at Shield level in particular have been so strong. What, what are some of the, the biggest challenges you see when you're going into that role? Well, biggest challenges going forward is we're going to try and produce some uh, consistent test players. Mm. Uh, Marcus Harris, Wilpikowski, they're sort of on the periphery, but I'd like to produce... Uh, Maybe another Matthew Elliott or Brad Hodge who can play maybe 50 tests instead of 20 tests that Matt and Brad played so, and have a, a successful pathway of um, going from Victorian cricket into international cricket and, and being there for, for many years. So the kids can actually idolise the young Victorian players and hopefully grow up to play a MCG test, a Boxing Day test at the MCG um, when, when they're a bit older. So I hope this doesn't sound like a dumb question, but but how do you, how do, you do that? Why do you think Victoria haven't produced as many test players as some of the other states, I guess, particularly New South Wales in, in recent years? Yeah, it's a great question and something where Chris Chris Rogers and myself, Graham and I, we're all working on our pathways and we're just going to get a, um, a consistent, uh, for, for batting techniques, for example, how uh, a batting te- technique that's going to uh, survive on the international arena rather than um, just maybe relying on the premier coaches to uh, get their techniques to an international level uh, to try and make a, a really elite pathway for these kids to come through and hopefully achieve their dreams of playing uh, for Australia uh, at the MCG. How is Will Pekoski going at the moment? We've seen him doing a bit of media work. He's uh, he's pretty handy at that, but of course he wants to be back playing cricket. How's he going? Well, I've actually spoken to him for probably about two weeks now, So, um, but all I do is see him on the TV. He seems happy and healthy, which is good, and hopefully he's hitting some cricket balls with his dad, who's a, a very fine batting coach in his own right. And hopefully that uh, reinvigorates the fire in his belly and he can come back and uh, represent Victoria and, and hopefully Australia in, uh, in a few weeks' time or a few months' time. 
Well, Dave, good luck tomorrow night. I hope the boys uh, send you off with a win. You've always been uh, very generous with your time here at SEN. Uh, good luck tomorrow night. We can't wait to catch up when you're in the new roles, head of male cricket at Cricket Victoria. Thanks again for your time. Anytime, Jules. Thanks very much. Take care. Uh, he's a good man, David Hussey. Welcome back to the show. The quarterfinals begin today at the Australian Open. Unfortunately, no Aussies uh, through to the last eight on either side after Alex Demonor was thrashed last night by Novak Djokovic. But we're going to try and find you some winners, uh, get some previews of these matches with Steve Quick from Ace Previews, thanks to Betfair. Find better tennis odds at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Morning again, Steve. Good morning. Let's be honest, if Novak plays like that, there's no one in this field now that can beat him, is there? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think, you know, and even when you look at the... I think the odds for, for Novak to win the tournament before last night's match, he was sitting around the $2.30 mark and, look, it was dominant, and he's into about $1.50, $1.55, and I think that's, that's more than justified. That was probably the best we've seen him move since he uh, first hurt his hamstring in, in Adelaide, and, yeah, it, it's going to be incredibly tough to beat him, I think, over the best of five sets. Alex Demonor is only 23, so he's got he's got time on his side and he's already a very good player. But can you see him taking his game, finding some more weapons where he can... I'm not just talking about beating Novak Djokovic, but where he can, you know, consistently match and beat, you know, even guys you know, like a Sitsipas or a Rublev or other players that are, that are in the top 10 right now? Is it, or is the fear he's always going to be that slightly rung down from those top players? Yeah, I think that fear is is always going to be there so long as, you know, Alex's first serve in particular just doesn't generate enough cheap points for him compared to all the top names that we see, you know, at the top of the tour at the moment. So I think that's always going to be against him. But I guess from, from my perspective, watching that match last night, it would have been nice to see, you know, when things weren't going his way, perhaps when he was down a set and, and a break to, you know, try some different things, try coming into the net a bit more, you know, using the drop shot or, or trying to see, it, it, you know... A, just trying to see if anything else would potentially work because it was a bit of a, a case of this isn't working, I'm just going to try and hit a little bit harder. And as we saw, Novak put on an absolute clinic. It was an absolute uh, clinic. Uh, we spoke to you, we've spoken to you a couple of times uh, now about Ben Shelton. His incredible run continues. And we're speaking to Courtney Walsh a bit earlier. It's been a real renaissance in men's tennis uh, in the United States. We're saying, you know, he's sort of growing up. The American men were so dominant. Agassi, Sampras, Courier, a bit later, Andy Roddick. But, uh, and then they sort of went into the wilderness for a long time. But now there's just a plethora of uh, good young Americans coming through. And, and is potentially Ben Shelton the best of them? Yeah, I think he potentially is. You know, when, when you look at where he's at in terms of his career and when you compare to some of the other um, players, you know, around that mark. I think it's going to be on Monday. There's going to be ten of the top fifty players are going to be American. So it's certainly a, a big jump now compared to you know a couple of years ago where the American tennis, you know, on the men's side was heavily reliant on on John Isner, I guess, to to be their success. So I think Ben has all the tools to be able to continue this dramatic rise. And I think the big thing for him is now he's got you know a, a big chunk of, of ranking points here you know, at the Australian Open, and now he's got a full year to really make the most of it. You know, he's going to be able to find his way into all these top tournaments. And, it's, you know, the sky is the limit for him, I think. You know, you just look at his match against Wolf yesterday. He, he played four sets. He didn't drop serve the entire match. Um, you know, his, his fastest serve was 226 kilometres an hour, which is right up there with the best, you know, across the tournament. It, it, it's hard to find, you know, that, that specific weakness. And I think, you know, when you look at all the tennis he's played this year, 
the biggest weakness he had, I think, was in Adelaide qualifying when he played James Duckworth. And I'm pretty sure he was jet-lagged from his first time out of America. <laughs> he's, he's going. It's been an extraordinary time for him. Uh, in Australia, we're speaking to Steve Quick from Ace Previews, thanks to Betfair. Uh, first quarter final up in the men's today. Looks like a really good match on on paper. Karen Hashinoff versus Sebastian Corda. Um, great chance for one of these men to make a semi-final of a major. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, look, it is going to be a tough one. I think it's probably going to be the closest of, of all the quarterfinals today. I, I think just over, you know, from experience, I think Kashinov is, is the, the player that I prefer here in this particular matchup. It'll be a matchup of, of two great quality backhands. But I think when you look at, um, you know, who quarters beaten across the last two rounds, it's been Medvedev and, and Horkacz who, who play more of a, you know, for their size, they're you know, a little bit more defensive. They've got, you know, slightly better court coverage where this is going to be more of a, a power matchup here against um, Hashinov, who was explosive against uh, Nishioka in the last round. I think he won the first 14 games of the match uh, through that one. So I think if I had to pick at the moment, I'd be certainly siding with um, Kashinov, but it, it should be a, a relatively serve-dominated match compared to, I think they met uh, in Wimbledon a couple of years ago, and in the fifth set alone, there was 13 breaks of serve. So I don't think we'll be seeing something like that today, but I'd be siding with the Russian uh, just at the current odds that are available. So you think in the other quarterfinal today, it should be relatively straightforward for Stefano Tsitsipas? I think so. I, I think when you look at the quality of that match he had with Yannick Sinner, I think it was you know one of particularly the first couple of sets you know between both of them. It was one of the, the better quality matches of the the tournament, and I think here you know, he gets Lehechka, who has you know done a great job of de- defeating Cam Norrie and Felix Auger Aliassime in the last couple of. Of rounds, but I, I think you know when we look at Tsitsipas, he's been here before. He knows, you know, he he loves Rod Laver Arena at the night session. Um, you know, Lehechka's first main, you know, main court match here. Um, you know, on the biggest stage of, of his career to date, I think that Tsitsipas with the the crowd support will be will be too good there. Women's quarterfinals today look uh, really interesting. Uh, you've got uh, Rebe- uh, the the Wimbledon champion. Rebe- Rybakina, sorry, Ostapenko. Both caused upsets uh, in their last match. Of course, uh, I guess she made headlines, the Wimbledon champ, when she was whacked out on court 13 for her opening round match. Um, who do you like to get through there? Yeah, I like uh, Rybakina there uh, to win and, and to win at the, the minus 3.5 game handicap, I think, looks quite good. When you, when you look at, you know, as we were saying, I think Shriotek and Golf was kind of the the quarterfinal we're all expecting and it got flipped on its head 48 hours ago. But I think when you look at this and Ostapenko served at a really high first serve percentage against Coco last round and and saved seven of eight break points, which is the the best break point save that she's had um, across the last 12 months when she's she's faced more than five break points. So I'm just a bit concerned that she may not be able to back up that serving performance. And her second serve is a little bit vulnerable, especially with uh, Rybakina at the other end. And when you look at the stats of Rybakina, which he beat uh, Shriotek, there was nothing that was actually, you know, outstanding about it. I think she was solid and it kind of matched what she's been able to produce. So I think looking at her to win here and the the minus 3.5 game handicap that's currently on offer would be my selection here. Victoria Azarenka knows what it takes to win an Australian Open. She's coming off a, a late finish, and then she plays Jessica Pakula today, who has been pretty untroubled throughout the tournament. What chances do you give Azarenka in this one? I think it's going to be tough for Azarenka. I think the only major concern for Jessica Pakula is that the, the Buffalo Bills, who her family yes. owns, had a, had a loss in the NFL. <laughs> you uh, might be a bit flat. I, I think... Yeah, it might be a little bit flat there, but I think look, looking 
overall, you know, the form of Pagula through the United Cup in particular and then coming in here, she has been largely untroubled and she's looking solid off both wings. I think Azarenka, you know, watching her late, uh, you know, play late at night a couple of nights ago against uh, uh, Zulin was struggling a little bit with her serve and she had the yips a little bit, particularly late in that match, which which we haven't seen from Azarenka for a while. So I think if I had to pick here, you know, not quite as confidently as the other matches, but I think uh, Pagula to, to win in straight sets there, at around the $2, $2.05 mark looks solid. Uh, we're at the business end now. Quarterfinals, Novak Djokovic looking so strong on the men's side. Uh, Steve, thanks again for your time. Uh, enjoy the quarterfinals today. No worries. Thanks for having me on.